Welcome to a new episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Jim Suhan from Lambeau Field in Green Bay, Wisconsin, where the Minnesota Vikings beat their NFC North foe, but suffered a loss that could impact them or will impact them for the rest of the season with Kirk Cousins suffering a torn Achilles. Um, Ben, we just heard, and Jim, we just heard from Kevin O'Connell. That was the fear, and it sounds like that was the confirmation. Yes, I uh, texted a source who is has been briefed on these things, and he said, yes, it is a torn Achilles for Kirk Cousins, which obviously means he's out for the season. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has been talking about trying to get back this year, but the fact that Kirk Cousins is two months further along in the season, plus the fact that we don't have any precedent to say that somebody can return from an Achilles injury in the same season, even if they're hoping to do it. I think it's reasonably safe to assume that Kirk Cousins is done for the 2023 season. Yeah, Jim, and it was a damper put on the entire post-game mood, usually celebratory if you're beating Green Bay in Lambeau Field. Rodgers is gone. Green Bay looked horrific in this game, and yet somehow uh, obviously a somber mood all around. Yeah, this is... Just a remarkable turn of events, uh, and frankly, a sad turn of events because you know I really felt like this team was about to make a run. I I could have seen them getting to eight or nine wins in the next handful of weeks and really setting themselves up. And now you, you don't even know if they have somebody who can play the position at a professional level. I mean, Jaron Hall uh, says all the right things, seems like a cool guy, but they put him in the game and he immediately fumbles the ball away. It's like the only moment you thought they were going to lose this game is that moment. Is he really ready to take over as a starter? I would guess not. Yeah, Hall jumps in there because he was the backup because Nick Mullins dealing with a lower back injury that had him on IR. Um, Kevin O'Connell said after the game that he is an option for them at some point this season, though he might have been wrong about when. Yeah, I believe Nick Mullins has one more week on injured reserve, which means he would be out next week. So unless they were to trade for somebody in the next 48 hours before the trade deadline or pull in Sean Mannion or maybe bring somebody off the street, which probably is not somebody who's starting next week, safe assumption would be that Jaron Hall starts next Sunday in Atlanta. Um, That's not where the Vikings thought they would be at a point where, like you said, Jim, it looked like wide open spaces in terms of them being back at four and four, dominating Green Bay in this game. Green Bay started this game with four straight three and outs, I believe. They didn't get their first first down until about four minutes before halftime. Um, if if there was uh, a quarterback, Jaron Hall looked better than it might have been Jordan Love in this game. Um, and that says something for, for how poorly Green Bay looked because um, I think the Vikings clearly had a chance to make a run here. And, and with Kirk now entering a contract, or this was a contract year, entering a free agency this offseason, you start to wonder, did we see his last snap in purple? That's certainly possible. Um, the argument against that being his last snap in purple is you watch teams that draft and develop quarterbacks and think everything's going to be great, and they end up being the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers, two hopeless franchises. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's great when you can draft a guy and he ends up being that guy, but you can also get Jordan Love or – Justin Fields or any of the 8,000 other young quarterbacks who are promising and just can't play in the league. Uh, Kirk Cousins, you know, I, I've taken my shots at him over the years. I've had my qualms about certain things about the way he's played and handled himself. But really, for the last year and a half, two years, he's been he's been a great pro. Uh, he was clutch last year. He was a leader this year. He, he was playing exceptionally well. This is this is a horrible thing to see. Yeah, ben, all the paths we thought this Vikings team was heading down, this blows up that crossroads. Well, it does. I mean, you sit there and think about where they were. They 
take a three-touchdown lead when Josh Metellus takes an interception away from Jaden Reed, and then Cousins throws a touchdown to Jordan Addison the next play. It was the first time they had been up by three touchdowns here since the day Brett Favre came back and beat the Packers at Lambeau. It was only the fourth time since 1994, fourth time in the last 30 years, they've been up that big at Lambeau. The first three, Randy Moss on Monday night 1998, first game at New Lambeau, in 2003 when they came in and beat them, and then Favre in 09. So three fairly significant moments for the Vikings, and this one today becomes a significant moment for a number of different reasons that they wouldn't have wanted. Um, yeah, it's 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 a stunner. And the fact that they still won the game was in part because of what we're talking about, that you can, like you said, Jim, you can draft a quarterback, think you're going to be good to go, even develop him for three years to the point where you say we're going to trade the Hall of Famer Today was a reminder on a couple of different levels that finding a guy that plays this position at a competent level is not very easy to do. Everybody kind of talks about, well, we want to go find the guy. And the trick to that is there are about five or six of the guy walking the planet at any one time. And then there's probably another 10 that can look like that guy here and there. And Cousins is probably somewhere in the upper crust of that second group. But there just aren't very many of them around. And the fact that they won the game is in part because the Packers right now don't look like they have that guy, even though they thought they did. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Jim, what do you think this should do, if anything, for the Vikings as they enter the last 48 hours before the trade deadline? I mean, until now, as you know, I've been saying don't trade people. Try to win. Try to win. You're going to get Justin Jefferson back. You have a lot of very good players who are in their prime or playing well. Go try to win. Be competitors. And so my first instinct is to say that again. Is it realistic that Jaron Hall slash Nick Mullins are going to be good enough to make this a worthwhile season? I mean, that's where this is going to get tough for Kwesi. Do you in How much do you invest or – either invest in terms of, you know, just trying to stick with it here, uh, a team, if you really don't believe they're good enough uh, to do anything, to make the playoffs, to make a playoff run. I mean, the easy answer is always just, hey, trade everybody away. Trade Daniel Hunter, uh, try to recoup, try to put yourself in a position where you maybe can draft the right quarterback next year. But I I just don't know how you give up on a 4-4 four and four team that's going to play Taylor Heineke on Sunday. I, d- I don't know how you give up on – taking a shot at it, even if it seems like it's against the Even if it's with Nick Mullins? Well, yeah. I, I mean, it would be hard, I think, to just punt on the year. And the, uh, you know, for as much as we hear Kevin O'Connell talk about the, the locker room and the culture, when they have come back from 0-3 to win four of their last five, and the one loss is a touchdown to the Chiefs where they played them pretty tough, it would be hard to pull the plug at this point. But here's where it gets really tricky. If we're saying that you can't pull the plug because there's still something to play for, I think it's also really difficult to go out and get somebody, bring them in, and have the draft capital to do what you might need to do 
next year. Now, when you don't know if Kirk Cousins is going to be your quarterback because he would have to return from a torn Achilles in like eight or nine months, and he doesn't have a contract, so you may need to go up in the draft and try to get the next guy and develop him. That's going to take a lot of picks because they're not going to be picking in the top 10, probably, unless they just you know kind of go on a, a skid from here without him, which I suppose is possible. But they have only so many places to address what are now two quarterback needs, one for the rest of this season and one for the future. And they may need draft picks to acquire the people to meet both of those needs if Kirk Cousins is not the answer to either one. So it just makes it really, really tricky. I mean, you went from four and four, a big win at Lambeau Field, to this is now graduate-level roster management dilemmas for a coach and a GM that are in their second season. You went to that pretty quickly. I mean, this has a... Teddy Bridgewater 2016 feel to it in terms of the shock of the day. Now, Bridgewater's was more unprecedented in terms of the way it happened, and the feeling that day was probably even a little bit different than this was. But the somber mood around the team, it it reminded me of that of it reminded me of that day. This is really going to test how much Quasey wants to lean into the competitiveness of their competitive rebuild, right? Like this is the move or the injury that the only injury, because they already lost Jefferson for at least a short duration that could have happened. That would have um, thrown their entire, uh, any chance of being competitive this year. And if they find themselves at a spot where they have to talk themselves into being, you know, they are four and four, but can you continue to be competitive and be a playoff team with Nick Mullins under center You're not going to bring a quarterback in at this point to learn your offense and take over. You're not that piece away from, from making that kind of a run. Um, So they find themselves at a spot where you do you hold on to Daniel Hunter just because you want to continue to chase that or do some of the offers that might maybe were already on the table for Daniel look a little more appealing after an injury like this. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a fascinating 48 hours because I think you could make viable arguments for a lot of those things. I, I still think it's hard to just give up on it, but it's going to be really interesting to see which line of thinking wins out and if there's consensus on that or kind of how it all goes because I, it's it's just a, a really difficult place to find yourself and have to know what the right answer to that is in 48 hours. Especially with a team like this, Jim, that continues to, until today, play only one-score games and not be that much better than their opponent with Kirk. Right. It's it's an odd team. It was an odd team last year winning 13 games without really being statistically dominant. And it's an odd team this year that they started 1-4, and four and yet you knew, I think if you knew the league and knew this team, you knew that it wasn't over. They had a chance. Um, and honestly, given the upcoming schedule, they might be able to win some of these games with Nick Mullins or Jaron Hall, just because they're playing bad teams. They might, and and those teams are going to have injuries too. Uh, I don't know. I I still go back to I, I don't think when you have a large loyal fan base and you're selling out the stadium, I just don't think you can punt on four and four. It might very easily be five and four. I just don't. I just don't think you can do it as competitors or or you know ethical members of the league. Here's the other thing that just kind of hit me as I'm as I'm watching some of these highlights here of including of of Will Levis who the Vikings did not like in the first round at least this year because they didn't feel like he was ready to start in year 1 
Um, It's really tricky to do anything with a young quarterback. We've kind of covered that. But Brock Purdy is the example that I think you will probably have people in that building point to. And, And I say it for this reason. There is a belief among the people that run this offense in terms of the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur runs this type of offense. Kevin O'Connell is obviously from this tree that if you get a quarterback that does the right things, the scheme has enough answers in it that people can operate it even if they're not Aaron Rodgers-level passers. Now, this scheme also puts a lot on the quarterback at the line of scrimmage, as we've seen with Kirk Cousins. I don't think you can do that with a rookie. But when they have the playmakers around the quarterback that they do, especially once they get Justin Jefferson back, I could see them – saying to themselves, we shouldn't blow it up because we still have the ability to play competitively if we can just get the ball to those playmakers. I'm not saying that's going to be right, but I could see where people in this offense, in this kind of tree, would think that way, and and maybe that wins out. It's an interesting thought to consider because we've heard that from these coaches that come from this branch of things before. Yeah, and Nick Mullins is a guy who's had moments for San Francisco, yep. one of those coaches. Yep. Um, but that was the San Francisco 49ers team that's been more complete than this Vikings Yeah, it's a better defense, certainly, than this has been. And offensive line, running game, certainly the Vikings still couldn't run the ball today against a very bad Packers defense. Here. That's the thing. is that that's, that's one of the biggest concerns for me is that they did not run the ball at all today. I thought, you know, I, I prefer Akers to uh, Madison. I might prefer Chandler to both of them if I see more of them. That was an amazing kickoff return he had that was called back. Uh, so I don't think Madison's the answer. But today, Cam Akers wasn't either. Uh, and I think this is actually a pretty good run-blocking offensive line. So maybe the Packers just – I don't know. Maybe the Packers just either played really well or schemed to take it away today. But they're going to need to run the ball. And I don't think you can just turn it handed to Andrew Ma- uh, Alexander Madison the rest of the season yeah, Cam and expect a- anything. Yeah, Cam Akers just had a couple uh, good runs there in, in the red zone, getting the, the six-yard touchdown going through Quay Walker, their first rushing touchdown of the regular season. Kirk Cousins threw 16 touchdowns before the Vikings ran for one. It shows you how much has been on Kirk's plate. You talk about from play to play in this offense, but just this season having to carry this offense because they can't even get first downs effectively. Um, in the running game. So this leaves an offense with a very high-volume passing game needing the point guard to to dish out to all these pieces. And we talked about the butterfly effect, uh, the movie, on the last podcast we did. One of the effects of this injury to Kirk is going to be, I think, Justin Jefferson not rushing back uh, with that hamstring. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that goes because I'm sure he is going to be hearing people in his camp say, you don't need to put yourself at risk when you don't have a deal for a team that doesn't have the quarterback that has helped you put up all these stats and maybe doesn't have a path to a competitive type of run. I mean, you know, again, these are going to be questions that get answered. I mean, that one they don't have to answer in the next 48 hours. I mean, they (laughs) can try to make a statement of some type for the audience of, Justin Jefferson or perhaps more specifically the people around Justin Jefferson next Sunday to show that, hey, we can still be competitive. But yes, I, I'm i sure that this now changes the calculus for Jefferson and the discussions around that as well. I mean, they, the Vikings have been 
projecting optimism about when he could be back and that it could be sooner than later. Yeah. I think everything about everything <laughs> around this team just changed. And, uh, the ramifications of that, the butterfly effect of that, as we say it, is going to be uh, pretty significant, I think. We should also mention this is the second torn Achilles suffered on this Lambeau Field grass for the Vikings after Brian O'Neill suffered a partially torn Achilles. Now, Brian was able to come back in about nine months because it was only a partially torn Achilles, so we don't know the severity of Kirk Cousins' tear at this point. That will be determined via um, MRIs and, and more testing to see, but that will give the timeline of how quickly he can come back and kind of set forth uh, a plan, at least uh, for the Vikings, for their expectations moving forward with him. Um, but this turf has not been nice to the Minnesota Vikings. No, it hasn't. Grass, I, I mean, and <clears throat> the seven-stud cleat thing was a big issue on New Year's Day here when he had players slipping all over the place. Yeah. And the Vikings certainly wanted players to wear them today. They wanted players to wear them in Chicago a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, you're not dealing with cold and, and frozen portions of the field today. But Kevin O'Connell said afterwards that he said he didn't want to speculate too much, but he thought from his conversations with Kirk, that his understanding was that Cousins' cleat got caught in the grass. I don't know if Cousins was wearing seven studs today or not. Seven studs are longer. They go into the grass, which gives you better traction, but obviously can make it so that they're stuck when you try to move and then create the kind of tension that can do something like what happened today. So pretty much on the same, almost the same portion of the field as it happened to Brian O'Neill. I mean, within it was yeah. on the, yep. uh, the south end zone, I believe it is, at Lambeau Field heading towards the south end zone that happened with Brian O'Neill as well. So um, kind of eerie parallels there and certainly worth wondering if that was part of it. Now they want players to wear those so they're not slipping all over the place, and there's good reason for that. But you know, in a year where we have had a lot of conversations about playing surfaces and the effects they can have on players, uh, this is another perhaps – don't know this for sure yet but this may be another data point in that conversation jim before we let people go we should talk about one of the main reasons there should be any confidence still in this vikings team at four and four and it's it's brian flores in that defense um they made jordan love or jordan love already didn't look good but they made him look even worse yeah and uh he's destroying young quarterbacks right now um and Metell he's using Metellus really well. The safeties, you know, he's basically using three safeties, and they're all playing really well. Hunter had another big play today. Uh, Wanham keeps coming on. You know, Hicks has had a really good season. You know, Blackman made a couple of nice plays. And you can just see this team figuring out what he wants and how to make it work. Because he, this is a completely different scheme than – I mean, it's not, not just X's and O's, but mentality-wise. Um, and, yes, he's had success against young quarterbacks, but – that's part of the job too, is to beat young quarterbacks. He also, I thought, put up a pretty good fight against uh, against Mahomes. So yeah. I, I think Flores is exactly what they hoped they were getting. Yeah, Josh Metellus had a great game. Um, that interception ripped out of the arms of Jaden Reed. The um, Addisonian pick. It was. It was. Or Charvarius Ward, I suppose. At the yeah on that side of the ball. And I can't remember the Tampa Bay defensive back that did that to KJ too. We've yeah. seen that a few times this year. Oddly. Yeah, the rookie uh, um, Christian. Uh, Eason, or however the heck you say it, Eisen. Um, and, and I think we well, we also saw him tell us uh, with the deflection on Musgrave. We saw him with a great open field tackle on Jordan Love scrambling around there. He just had a great game, and that's yeah. a guy who, with this defense, continues to evolve in his role. Yeah, he's a, and a guy that they really, really like. I mean, you saw that 
as they kind of designed this role for him. Brian Flores talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It said it's, it's evolved because he has evolved as a player. He's shown he can take on more. They use him as a linebacker. I mean, I, I looked on, uh, I looked at this for a story I did last week. He's lined up in like 12 different spots in terms of, you know, where we would put him on a traditional football position grid. Yeah. Uh, it's been everywhere from defensive end to linebacker to slot corner to outside corner to safety. I mean, it's over been, center. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yes, yeah. it's been just about everywhere. Yep. So, they see him, I think, as sort of a fulcrum for this whole thing, and he showed again today why they have uh, tapped so much of his potential in this scheme. And Daniel Hunter gets the 10th sack of the year. I believe he still leads the NFL with that. He's one away from getting his first incentive for yep. $1 million. If he's not traded, he's regardless setting himself up to earn a lot of money in March. He is a um, $1 million for 11 sacks for the year. Two million for twelve and a half, I believe, and three million for fourteen. He only gets one of those, so it's not like he's going to get paid at each stage of this, but he will get a maximum of that. So the way he's going, you'd think fourteen is in play, and uh, it certainly is going to get a nice payday out of that if and when he gets there. Yeah, Taylor Heineke and the Atlanta Falcons are up next. That is who who we will be talking to you guys about next from TCO Performance Center in Egan. Until then, please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com.